Welcome to Style with Substance, a podcast by The Vendeur. I'm your host, Lucy Kebble. plus a few bonus episodes, we'll be talking about the myths and greenwashing that surround sustainable fashion. Join us for discussion with industry insiders, tips and generally geeking out on the glory that is ethical fashion. Welcome to episode five. We hope that you're doing okay with lockdown still in effect and that these weekly chats help to keep you motivated. If you're only just joining us, make sure to head back and listen to our previous episodes. This week, we are really excited to bring you our conversation with Emma Slade Edmondson. Emma is a strategic creative director and founder of ESE Consulting. Her modern approach to retail, sustainability and initiatives focused on social change is well known. If you've popped into Cancer Research UK's Marylebone branch and been totally bowled over by how slick and uncharity shoppish it looks, that was Emma. We'll be chatting about the resurgence of thrifting and how Gen Z have jumped on it as a money-making enterprise. We also tap Emma for her tips for making the most out of charity shopping. So let's get down to some myth-busting. Time and again, we hear people put off by the expense of buying from sustainable and ethical fashion brands. And yes, if you are buying a beautifully made alpaca jumper from Gabriella Hurst, then you can expect to pay upwards of £1,000. However, A more exciting place to start would be by buying secondhand or pre-loved. Kate Moss made vintage cool in the early noughties, but until very recently, charity shopping was not. I remember as a kid enjoying weekends spent in charity shops and at car boot sales finding bargains. Friends would love the items I found, but when I told them that they were secondhand, they were very put off. Doesn't it smell? I couldn't wear something that someone else had already worn, or you don't know where it's been, etc. So I stopped boasting and instead started calling it vintage, and not surprisingly, they liked this much better. Now, however, having sharp elbows and a talent for spotting vintage Laura Ashley is a boast. Instagram influencers often describe themselves in their bios as thrifters, and they tag their items with the charity shops they found their gems in, and boast of the money saved and the inspiration that they find through not shopping the high street. I'm intrigued to learn where this change occurred and why. According to Hubbub, 41% of all 18 to 25 year olds feel the pressure to wear a different outfit every time they go out, and that rises to 47% for young women. One in six young people even say that they don't feel they can wear an outfit again once it's been on social media. This feeling has fueled YouTube hauls of popular fast fashion brands like Boohoo, H&M, Primark and Misguided. Last year, Love Not Landfill hosted a pop-up in London inviting major charity shops to collaborate with Instagram influencers. Bernardo's collaborated with Emma Bresci and Oxfam collaborated with Emma Wibley to mention just a few. They curated collections of their favourite second-hand finds, offering them for sale at the pop-up. Love Not Landfill's last pop-up made £23,000 for the charities involved and have 4,500 visitors. So when did thrifting become a boast? Let's head to our chat with Emma. Hi, Emma. Hi. Happy Earth Day. <laughs> yes, happy Earth Day to you. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's nice to be recording this with you on Earth Day. 
Yes, yeah, it is. And um, we've been trying to get this in the books for a little while. So I feel relieved that we're that we're here having this conversation. <laughs> we have. I'm really sorry. It's my fault. I have um, <laughs> no, chopped and changed all. so many times. You're a busy lady. So, I mean, why don't you kick off by telling us why you are such a busy lady? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, so um, to just tell you a little bit about myself, I'm a strategic creative director and my focus is social change and sustainability. Um, I am the founder of ESC Consultancy, which works primarily to elevate brands and organizations who have a desire to do social and or environmental good. And I'm CMO at the Sustainable Lifestyle Awards, um, which is very exciting. Mm. And I work with clients and projects like Cancer Research UK fashion retail brand. Um, I've worked with Shelter, Miyamiko, Katie Jones, um, and I've actually got some exciting projects on the go, um, which if you ask me about, Lucy, I'll tell you about later. <laughs> oh, okay. Mental no made. Uh, <laughs> well, you mentioned cancer research there, um, and I really wanted to ask you about that because I visited the cancer research um, shop on Marylebone Road and I remember thinking this is incredible this is such a wonderful experience as a consumer shopping in a charity shop and then I found out that that was what you had done so do you want to tell us a little bit more about that because that's a really interesting project. Sure yeah so um, I was working with Cancer Research uh, for quite some time and the opportunity did come up to kind of relook at their premium um, store offering and as we were looking at retail brand at the same time it seemed like a really good opportunity to create an experience in that and to kind of um, invite new customers in as well as thanking customers that were you know currently really devoted to shopping and cancer research. Um, but I think one of the other things that was really important to me, which is important to me in all of my work, was, again, to showcase how relevant and how wonderful secondhand textiles are and how they are for everybody. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of prove that the charity shopping experience could be really modern and um to do that with the experience that you had inside, as well as, you know, we created this wonderful campaign which showed that the raft and the diversity of the people that shopped with us currently and those that we were inviting in. So it was it was younger and older and it was fashion forward. Um, you know, we wanted to really put an eye on what people were looking for and make them feel that there would be something for them if they went in store. Um, and it was very much about sort of changing the face of charity retail if you like so when you you told me you mentioned to me that you'd come in and you'd 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 felt that this was an amazing kind of modern experience and um, I felt really proud oh yeah it was no it was brilliant I, I couldn't believe where I was standing it would just felt like a really inspiring place to shop um, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes, obviously, these these are always the best charity shops, but the ones that are a bit overcluttered, if I'm not in the right frame of mind, I find it a little bit stressful to rummage in those ones. Um, but, you know, this was definitely, this this felt clean and spacious and light and, yeah, it was, it was really lovely. Um, so let's start talking about about thrifting, about charity shopping, because that's why you're here talking to us today. Um, in my eyes, I'm sure in a, in a few other people's as well, you are a bit of a queen in this area. <laughs> um, so we've got lots of questions for you. Um, but we really wanted to to talk about 
the massive shift that's happened recently. I know I've noticed it. Um, the you know Generation Z are now identifying hugely with second hand, um, as opposed to possibly buying new from sustainable brands. Um, you know, they're categorizing themselves as thrifters on Instagram. And, you know, when I was their age, it was not cool to be a thrifter. So, you know, I just wanted to speak to you a little bit more about that. I think you have some, um, some really interesting insight in that area. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say, when you were younger, it wasn't cool to be a thrifter. And I think that's probably an experience or something that um, a sentiment that a lot of us um, can relate to. um, If we're in our 30s should I be revealing my age on I know I, I was I was thinking where are you going with this Emma don't t- don't say too much <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't ask you it's rude to ask you but I guess I can reveal my own age um but yeah I think that's something that people of this generation can definitely relate to um and I think it's interesting with Gen Z because they are just a completely different group you know their lives are characterized by mobile technology social upheaval recession you know the way that they access information um is completely different to the way that we do as millennials you know with the proliferation of knowledge so much information being shared across multiple devices and platforms at a rate of knots and you know it's just a completely different way of consuming information and i think that Gen Z really do see knowledge as power um, and that power to find out information is important to them and also if they can't find it out it's almost kind of worse it's very much a, um, a generation of of I wouldn't say activists but of people who think it's cool to care and really believe that it's important to do the right thing mm. and of course that can't be said blanket across Gen Z there's so many different groups between each different age cohort um, and their kind of cares and concerns are always going to be different we spoke a little bit previously you and I about privilege and how that really affects the way that you view secondhand clothing I think it's really important to note that if you come from a background or an experience if your lived experiences that you associate secondhand clothes with poverty or a time in your life when you you didn't have much you cannot then readily flip into an idea of secondhand being super desirable necessarily um but I think that in answer to your question with Gen Z we just have a group that are viewing secondhand almost as a form of rebellion in terms of purchasing and sharing and building their own economy their own um businesses on various platforms where they can resell items and create drops so yeah there's a lot there's a lot going on yeah yeah i'm guessing there you're you're referencing depop (laughs) yeah 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 and there are other there are other platforms springing up and i think that even just selling on instagram has become quite a quite a popular way of earning money yeah I mean I remember when there was there was just eBay and that was it (laughs) (laughs) yeah a long way thank god (laughs) Um, have you moved off to eBay or is eBay still your thing uh, I always struggled with eBay because I'm not I'm not I always forget to bid on things and you know I I much prefer the the depop way of being 
if I can <laughs> have a preference. Uh, sorry, sorry, eBay, but <laughs> I, I just like to be able to click and buy something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so obviously charity shops are, they need stock. So they're in, you know, they've always encouraged people to donate old clothes. Um, but I think that when we talk about thrifting and, and how that is a subsect of, of having a sustainable wardrobe, secondhand shopping is a wonderful thing to do. But are we just encouraging consumption in a different way? Are we encouraging people to, you know, buy to donate? Would you agree with that? Or I think this is an interesting one for me, having kind of worked in a space for 10 years now where one of my primary goals was to encourage people to view secondhand and existing textiles as a viable option you know as viable as shopping on the high street and when I say to kind of persuade people I'm talking about the masses rather than people that are already kind of you know in a similar mindset to myself and definitely to convert younger people into this being their first port of call and so for me it's a very personal response that I give to this question because I think that seeing such a rise in people being interested in secondhand textiles and existing textiles is a massive win and I and I recognize that there are issues with swapping one type of overconsumption for another but at the same time um, I genuinely believe that People are on a journey with both the way that they view thoughtful fashion and sustainability and changing their own behaviours and being ready and accepting to, you know, the idea that they need to change and why they need to change and learning about, you know, the effects of fashion on people and the planet. And so for me, this is a really valid and important step in that journey. And people are going to to do this differently in their own way and I think that yes it's it's not something I would ever promote you know over consuming just because it's second hand I definitely don't subscribe to that but I understand that people have to go through the steps of getting to a more responsible place with fashion in their in their different ways um and so yeah that's kind of my take on it Mm. No, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, you know, and I think that in the same way we can talk about or, or we can ask the question, is finding a secondhand gem replacing the thrill of a cheap fast fashion haul? I know for myself, you know, I, I can often be guilty of walking into a charity shop and thinking, oh, I like all this stuff. I'm going to buy it all. It's fine. I'm extending its life cycle and it's cheap and I'm helping charity and then get it home and think, oh, what was I thinking? I'm <laughs> I'm probably not going to wear this. Is is that a good thing or a bad thing? What are your, what are your thoughts in that area? Well, I always talk about, you know, really knowing your own wardrobe and yourself when you're interacting with fashion Mm. because the thoughtfulness is about being thoughtful at home with the things that you already have as well as when you go out to purchase something to add to your existing wardrobe it's all one and the same or, or or at least in my mind it should be so no I don't think it's a it's it's a particularly good thing if you sort of swap the thrill of a cheap fast fashion find for the thrill of buying something secondhand without thinking about it but I actually believe that 
nine times out of 10, you're already thinking about it more if you're buying from a secondhand retailer or particularly if you're buying from a charity shop because the way that you shop is completely different. The way that you assess items is completely different because it has to be. Um, It's just not the same as this kind of painting by numbers experience that you get on the high street. And and I think people gradually learn to love that and they learn to um, really kind of revel in the effort that you have to put in and the thought that needs to go into finding something that's really special when you're shopping secondhand. Yeah. So that's really interesting that you say that. I think definitely that when you walk into a a charity shop or or a thrift shop, obviously there is, there's, there's some sort of marketing that's, that's done, but you know, there, there, there aren't the size ranges. There aren't the trend led pieces. You're not necessarily being told to buy this entire look. You're having to think on it a little bit harder than you would say if you walked into Zara and ended up buying a dress and all those boots because they're paired with it on the mannequin. Mm. I think it's a disservice to say that there aren't the trend led pieces. And because a lot of thought, I know, obviously, because of my work, I know behind the scenes, a lot of work often goes into the merchandising and the selection of things that go out onto the floor, particularly with um, some of the brands that I work with, like Shelter and Cancer Research, that are actively making sure that they're catering for a modern audience and making sure that they are trying to get things out that speak to the people that they're asking to come in and shop with them. They're asking people to support them. So they want to do their bit of the deal. They want to uphold their part of the bargain Mm. in that they want to make sure that when people come into the shop and we've been telling them, you know, we have something for you, they are going to find something for them and that it's going to be merchandised and upfront. And so even if these things aren't straight from a current brand who are marketing X at the moment, they will be assessed by staff as to whether actually that's the original version of this. Let's get that out on the shop floor. Yeah, yeah, Um, that's a good point. Which is kind of beautiful um, because I think, you know, more and more people want the original version if they can have that. They think that that's, you know, almost got more kudos than, you know, something that's an imitation with a twist. Definitely. I Well, I know that I feel that way. And I'm hoping that a lot more people are getting to feel that way. But let's let's talk a bit more about um, just one facet of all of the many things that you do. Um, you launched Charity Fashion Live a few years ago, I think you said. Am I right? <laughs> so I think Charity Fashion Live launched in 2011. So when I say that I've been promoting secondhand for a long time, (laughs) I really mean it. Um, Because I think when we started Charity Fashion Live, I definitely started it as a way to open the door to conversation about some of the larger issues around the fashion industry and around, you know, what fashion is doing to the people and planet. But to me, um, you know, as a marketeer by trade, Um, as a strategist by trade, I knew that at that time anyway, when people were not aware and this conversation was very much in its infancy, I needed a way to open the door to that conversation that people would readily embrace and that people would find exciting um, 
and that people would probably want to emulate or at least get involved in in some way. So that's kind of where Charity Fashion Live came from. Um, you know, I sort of thought that recreating looks from the catwalk live in real time as they came out, you know, using only what we could find in a single charity shop would be the realest kind of proof that secondhand textiles totally on trend Mm -hmm. um, and really relevant and, you know, that we should all be shopping that way. Yeah. And using a little bit of creativity and having a bit of fun with things as well, I think. Exactly. Exactly that. So we couldn't have this conversation and not touch on current events. We both wanted to talk about COVID-19. I mean, the huge effect that it's having on fashion, but also the effect that it's having on the secondhand market as well. I'll let I'll let you carry on there because you had some really interesting thoughts on this. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is really um, is really interesting. I think that even though apparel and footwear purchasing has is is overall significantly down, I think in early March we actually saw uh, a spike, an increase um, on the same period last year. I think it was up by like 52% online purchases or something like wow, something huge. ridiculous like that. Yeah. Which um, I don't know whether I was surprised by that or not, because obviously we're all inside. People are um, online a lot more as they're working from home. People mm. are feeling, you know, like they are really anxious Um and I think for a long time, we've been taught that we can serve our anxiety with feel-good purchases. Um, yeah. So I, I've definitely wondered whether there's going to be a return to that. Um, and it's worried me a lot. I've sort of, I don't know how you feel, but as somebody who works in this space, I feel like there's been a zeitgeist and you know, people have been more and more interested in the idea of sustainable fashion, responsible fashion. and what that really looks like um in terms of consumer action um or citizen action um as mm. Ursula likes to call it and yes. <laughs> I think um it, I, I really worried initially I I felt really distressed about the idea that people would be turning to survival mode um and it would be less of a thoughtful moment um around consumption and you know how our our impact on the planet and and people when it comes to the fashion industry or or any industry for that matter um and I think that that was something that really concerned me um so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out but I hope that it's the brands that have already begun to prove themselves um, in terms of their transparency and their building of community and their readiness to kind of come to the fore when they are needed um, and that have a much wider approach to kind of social and environmental impact than just we're turning up because we're all in a pandemic and we have, you know, we need to say something to you um, at this time. I hope that it's those brands that people support and that people feel embedded with as we go forward. But I think it's going to be a difficult time. 
Definitely. I think also from from our perspective at the Vonda, um, we're all about small businesses and it's of great concern to us at least that these small sustainable businesses are going to be the ones that are not going to be able to to keep up. They're not going to be the ones that are going to, to stay the tide because people will, you know, like you say, they'll switch to survival mode and and they'll do things that feel comfortable and they'll do things that feel feel familiar and they won't necessarily take a chance on those small brands and they won't take a chance on, you know, not picking up that certain item because it's not made from sustainable fabrics, et cetera. Mm. So that's definitely something that we're 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 trying to support brands in at the moment you know making sure that their messaging is clear and that you know they have the space to talk about the amazing things that they're doing because it's not just big brands that are doing incredible things for charity a lot of the smaller brands that arguably probably can't really afford to do it they're also doing brilliant things for charity at this time as well yeah if not more so um Mm. And I think because that's their roots, I guess they're they're rooted in in giving back in some way or another. So exactly, they're already there, and that's why you know I really hope that we continue to support those brands because, as you say, they are embedded. That's their way of being. That's their way of doing things, and they already have relationships. They're very real relationships with the people, the other organisations that they're trying to support and help that are so important to us at this time. But I think. Yeah, it's going to be um, interesting to see how things play out. It's culturally significant how people respond at this time, you know, in terms of whether they are genuinely in survival mode versus, you know, people who have a bit more money to spend or a bit more privileged and are on the Yeah, it almost amplifies that, that whole question of privilege when we talk about sustainable fashion. Definitely. But then I think that it's so complex because I heard about this kind of revenge buying phenomena. What is revenge buying? That sounds awful. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It sounds really scary. But (laughs) essentially, I think it originated, it originated, it's a Chinese thing. um, And it's kind of in response to um, restriction. So previously, China wasn't kind of the rest of the world wasn't accessible to China and Mm -hmm. so when things opened up and the markets became available to them people started to buy in a fervent manner that became known as revenge buying and talk of this revenge buying has sort of sprung up again since um Covid and I think that this is more it's, it's slightly different it's nuanced I think people are describing this as as the dreaming of self-pampering after restrictions are lifted and the response to stress due to the pandemic and sort of um, how, yeah, this is being coined as kind of the new revenge buying. Um, but it's, it first sprung up in the 1980s. That was kind of to describe the pent-up demand, I guess, for foreign products that had been denied to people Um when China was more closed off to the world. But Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to remember the cultural significance because that's about something that didn't feel like privilege. That was about restriction, but then would be viewed by anybody who didn't understand the history of that as privilege now, you see what I mean, and as as, as hugely distasteful. But there's so much history behind why that's probably a thing. And it's not to say that it's not distasteful now in this modern um, situation, 
Um, but I guess what I'm saying is that cultural relevance is so important for why we all behave the way that we do when it comes to consumption and, and how we how we feel about products and clothing and secondhand and all of these things. Yeah, no, no, that's a very good point. Speaking of COVID-19, do you have any projects that you're currently working on that are related um, to what we're going through at the moment or any are any um, brands that you're working with? I do, actually. I um, have a couple of things that I'm working on that are specifically relevant to the moment that we're living through. But I think one of the most interesting things is actually something called the Quarantine Quilt. Um, and it's it's basically an initiative that's launched to kind of bring people together whilst they're apart through makership. Mm. And it's supposed to be about collective action, you know, talking about how a stitch can heal, how it can communicate um, and how it kind of has many themes this time that we're going through, you know, links, chains, community and unity. Um, and the idea is that lots of people can contribute to this quilt. It's obviously digital at the moment because um, we can't get the patches physically, but eventually it will be sewn into one huge quilt. But it's digital on Instagram at the moment. So each um, patch is added and each patch tells the story of the maker and their experience of going through quarantine and COVID-19 and their experience of it. Um, so I, I think it will be a really beautiful thing um, to behold once it's made into a real quilt. Um, and something that's so lovely because it brings people together, even though they may not even know each other. Um, yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And I think, it, like you say, it will provide a really, really incredible and powerful reflection point for us when we hopefully come out the other side of this and, and look back on our experiences and what we learnt. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. That's brilliant. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah. So if people wanted to contribute to this quilt, can can they just do anything? What, are there any parameters? or? Yes, they can do anything within reason. There are themes that we've set out, which are links, chains, community and unity. But within reason, it's really up to each individual as to how they interpret those and, and also how they've experienced those themes during their time in quarantine or during this time of COVID-19. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And we'll, um, we'll add a link in the show notes so that if people want to find out more and they want to contribute, which I'm sure lots of people will, they can do that. I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but do you have any good tips that you can pass on to people for, um, for successful thrifting or um, similarly, if you have any kind of great ideas that people can use now they've got a little bit more time on their hands at home, maybe to breathe some life into old garments? Yeah, so um, I think to to go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of thinking about what you have at home when you're shopping secondhand, I think it's a really great idea to take something with you from your wardrobe so to be considered okay. about it, yeah, you know, I, I often, and people kind of balk at this idea, but I often think that about what it is that I'm going out to buy when, if I'm going to buy something from a charity shop or from a secondhand retailer, 
I kind of know what I'm looking for in terms of what the occasion is, whether I need something to pair with something else, you know, what kind of look I'm looking for. And so I go in with intent. I don't go in to have a browse. And it's not to say that, you know, that works for other people, but Mm. that's not my, that's not really my bag. But I think that's also to do with the fact that I don't really need to go out and browse for things. That's not my way. You know, I will only purchase something with intent because that's all about, you know, thinking about what it is that I need and what I have. Um, so yeah, I like to take something with me to build around. Um, and I find that really useful. So that, that would probably be my first tip. And my second tip I think would be to think about your style and to think geographically about where you are going to try and shop secondhand, particularly if it's a charity shop. That's a very good tip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as we were talking about Marlebone, right? Marlebone Mm is going to get a certain type of donation from the people who live around Marlebone. Um, and not all charity shops work in the same way in the sense that some charities centralise all of their stock and then it gets sent out to the places that feel right for that stock, the places where people will appreciate that kind of stock. But still, the, the geographical tip still applies. I used to volunteer in a charity shop when I was in my teens. And I remember being told that, you know, if you come across any designer things or any vintage things, bag them up because they go to the London stores and they go to the stores in Brighton, which I thought was very interesting bit gutting for me because obviously the designer and the vintage were the bits that I really wanted to get my hands on Mm -hmm. but then at least I knew that if I was you know going to take a little trip down to Brighton that the charity shops were going to be full of all the things that I loved. Did you not get first dibs? I did sometimes but my um my boss was uh I don't want to say mean because obviously she wasn't being mean she was being correct in doing her job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah yeah but, they're going to get more money for it. So, you know, they should do that. They shouldn't, you know, be giving me things. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Emma. Um, it's been really interesting to speak to you, not just about uh, thrifting, you know, about all sorts of other things as well. So, um, yeah, so nice to finally finally pin you down. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been really nice to finally have a good chat with you. I know we, we speak all the time on Instagram and, yeah, it's we been do. nice to properly speak to you. Yes, I know what you sound like now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. We can't believe we're already on episode five. How are you liking it so far? We'd love to hear from you. So please leave a rating and a review. And of course, subscribing helps other people to find us. We would also be so grateful if you would recommend us to someone, just one person. We want to reach as many people as possible with our message of conscious living. See you next week for more sustainable myth busting. Mm-hmm.